So, hi there, Rob Verkirk here. What's the buzz? Well, frequency devices. Um, I'm going to talk now um, briefly. I'm going to be introducing the 8,000 word article that I published last week um, that takes you through the gen on frequency devices. Now, what are they not? We're not going to be looking at things that are not generally electrically operated. So there's many aspects. Frequency has always been around. It precedes life, as we showed in part one. So we're not going to be looking at the systems that use subtle energies um, that have been used in healing for very long periods of time. So we look at crystal healing or hands-on healing or qigong or reiki, um, even homeopathy, much more recent. Um, uh, we're not going to be looking at that. So we're going to be specifically looking um, more at the machines that have been used. Um, the devices out there, there's a huge array of um, devices, some of them using electromagnetic fields, others electrical fields, some static um, magnetic fields, um, others using scalar waves, some using sound, um, you know, uh, uh, vi vibratory systems that create resonance. So there's a, there's a bunch of them out there that, that use these, these fields, that most of which are in the electromagnetic spectrum that, that includes, of course, light. Um, so um, that's what we're looking at. Um, the, one of the overall um, issues that, that we've been discovering is that there isn't a lot of transparency out there. And in fact, one of our big calls in this article is to say, guys, if you want this sector to be sustainable and not fall foul of regulators that are always going to be, at the present moment in time, defending the interests of their biggest paymasters, the pharmaceutical industry, you've got to lift your game and really be clear about what it is that you're measuring, what it is that you're delivering, um, we're not going to be talking about the kind of devices that have been um, dominating um, the physiotherapy space, the TENS machines, the neuromuscular electrical stimulation devices, laser therapy, etc. Um, one of the things that we've got to recognize when we talk about frequency medicine devices is the issue of dose. You remember in um, toxicology, it's the dose that makes the poison, everything can be harmful depending on the dose. So yes, while we've got to understand the quality, the nature of the electromagnetic field or the electrical field that's being issued, we also have to know a lot about the dose, how much is being delivered to what part of the body over what period of time. And, and of course, that means we've got to start measuring and using units of measurement that, that people will understand they're going to be constant from one device to another. Now, why do we need to really think about dose? Well, one of the big reasons is because we are being bombarded by a whole series of electromagnetic fields. Um, yes, there's a bunch of them that are produced by the, the Earth, the Schumann resonances um, that, that we've always been exposed to. We've, we've evolved alongside them. But with the development of digital technology, particularly communication technologies, the we're seeing an exponential exposure. You can live, live in an apartment block and be bombarded from 20, 30 different Wi-Fi fields. People have their devices close to them a lot of the time. Um, and of course, a digital 
wave is actually quite different from a natural wave. A natural wave has this sine wave quality, the smooth rounded um, troughs and crests. A digital wave is a stepped wave and nature has not, we have not evolved alongside these digital frequencies. So, um, and, and obviously just as when we see um, a digital recording being delivered to us in analog sound when we listen to a music system, it goes through a converter. That's a device that needs to convert a digital signal to an analog si si signal. We call it a digital to analog converter. But if these kinds of components are going to be locked away in inside a device, we kind of need to know something about it. And we need to have standard units of, of measurement so that we know we're being overexposed or not. So um, typically when you look at, um, um, you remember that an electromagnetic field is, is basically a hybrid between electric field, an electrical field and a magnetic field working at um, perpendicular 90 degrees to one another. So magnetic fields are generally measured in milli-gauss um, and um, or, or that's often the unit used in the US or nanotesla where one milli-gauss is equivalent to 100 nanotesla. Um, electrical fields are typically measured in volts per meter and um, radio frequencies um, which are the you know the elements that, that really can cause havoc with biological systems um, typically measured in microwatts per square meter. So ICNRP, the International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation, has published a whole range of um, exposure limit values, ELVs or action levels, um, for static and time variable fields. These are not adequate. They simply are not um, designed for the non-thermal effects. Um, you'll know that if you put a cell phone to your head, you'll, you'll find that it's warming. And so what ICNERP have done is really focus on those thermal effects, whereas actually we know that these radio frequency fields, when we're exposed to large amounts of them, it's the non-thermal effects that can play havoc with biological functions. Um, and um, so we, we link to the work of the Bioinitiative Report that's pulled together many of the top um, scientists around the world. Um, I, I actually hosted um, the one of the original meetings in the Royal Society back in, um, I think it was 2011, um, when we pulled many of these scientists together. So it's still being updated all the time. It's a great place to go to look at the sum total of, of data that shows um, the harm that can be caused. So let's look at this idea of understanding the units of measurement so we know um, what kind of quanta we're dealing with. And we also, in our article, give a link to a fantastic document by a chap by the name of Graham Arthur, who has um, written a, a great piece called Tips for Reducing EMF Exposure. Within that is a lot of advice that can help you in your um, home, in your workplace, to reduce um, um, overall EMF exposure. Now, who's your best friend? Well, I, I, I did question in the article whether it was a dog, but um, our suggestion in this modern world, if you really care about health, is that we should have access to an EMF meter of some sort. So um, I use the TriField device. Um, 
It's a great device because it allows you to measure um, both in standard and in weighted modes, magnetic and electrical um, fields. Um, the weighted mode is particularly useful because it, it gives you a, a more sensitive signal for the frequencies that we know um, are more likely to be harmful. So depending on whether you're looking at um, um, a washing machine, a dishwasher, you're looking at, um, with electrical fields, you'd be looking at wires in the wall. There's one very close to your bed. You might want to move your bed. Um, and of course, then if you're looking at all the wireless communication devices, you want to be looking at radio frequencies, the RF value here. So you can see in this office, because we now have a number of um, devices playing at the moment because we're recording, we're actually sitting at what we consider to be the threshold that you should stay below. You can see it's sitting at about 0.1315. The, the threshold um, that Trifield set that we very much agree with is 0.2. So, um, and we've got the audio, you can, you can hear it um, making a horrendous noise in the background. That's pretty useful because as you get to a, a high source, it will start making a hell of a racket and you'll know about it. So, um, a great device. Um, should be your best friend. Um, just very briefly, the um, the levels that um, Trifield suggest for which there are no data suggesting adverse effects for the magnetic field um, should be below um, three milligauss um, um, or maybe five milligauss in the weighted mode. Um, for electrical fields, around about 50 volts per meter standard or weighted. And, and then the radio frequencies, as I've mentioned, um, 0.2 um, milliwatts per square meter. Um, th those are levels that we should really stay below. So when we wanted to demystify what's going on in this very popular growing space called frequency medicine, what we decided to do is to create a taxonomy. I'm, I'm a biologist and ecologist by original training. Um, when we look at complex systems, it's quite useful. The human mind, us as scientists, we like to divide things up. So what, what we did is create a taxonomy. And one of the reasons for doing that is because the sector as a whole isn't very clear necessarily in terms of its um, public-facing communication, what category different devices fit into. So taxonomy was the starting point. So um, we've divided it into electromagnetic devices, um, magnetic devices that, that use including static fields as well as variable fields, um, electrical devices, bioelectrical devices, which is a lot of the devices that are used in, uh, in physiotherapy, for example. Then you've got the Rife machines that use plasma, others that, that use gas. Um, and of course, we've got the, those that rely not on electromagnetic or electrical fields, but use vibration, resonance, and sound. You remember, sound is not an electromagnetic frequency, but of course it has a frequency. That's what we're hearing all the time. And, and we know that, that sound, it's one of the reasons that, that sound therapy and sound healing, these resonances that come from sound, are incredibly important for health. And then we've also got an other group. Um, everyone has to have a miscellaneous group. And in there we've thrown the mixed bag of, um, many of them obviously don't aren't plugged into an electrical source from homeopathy to torsion fields, uh, um, tensor field generators, we've got some in the office, um, scalar waves, PIMAT, etc. 
Um, we've also linked to some really important reference documents that you might find useful. Um, David Musum with Tiffany Barsotti, who I've had the great pleasure of meeting, um, have, have written a fantastic paper called The Overview of Biofield Devices, um, and it's published in a journal called Global Advances in Health and Medicine. Um, that's a great um, document to dip into. And then you've got the work probably more specifically in the physiotherapy type bioelectrical devices by Professor Tim Watson, who's worked on it for years, now retired, who's got a wonderful website called Electrotherapy on the Web. Really useful resources to, to dive into. So um, the question is, when you're going to have a look and understand a, any kind of complex system, particularly one that's using invisible delivery of invisible energy, um, it's really important to have a method of characterizing not only the device, but the energy fields that are being measured or being emitted. Um, and um, so to do that, we've, we've gone to the work of um, a scientist who's worked for many years, originally from the uh, University of uh, Bulgaria. And um, um, Dr. Marko, or Professor Marko Markov, published a huge amount. It's got a fantastic book that we've got as well. Published um, around about 200 peer-reviewed papers, huge numbers of conference proceedings. And um, Markov has come up with exactly the same view that, that, that we consider of concern, that there just isn't enough data being delivered by many manufacturers to really understand what it is that this device is doing. Great to be belief-driven, and it's great to to uh, look at results based on clinical evidence or effectiveness. But, you know, you wouldn't buy a food if it didn't have an ingredients label. You wouldn't use a medication if it didn't have an ingredients label. So why should frequency device manufacturers sell devices when they're not telling you what components are in there, or what the characteristics of the electromagnetic fields that they're issuing are or what the characteristics of those fields that they're measuring from the body. Bearing in mind that the body is delivering ultra-weak fields, so you need really, really sensitive antennae or detectors to be able to measure those fields. So what we did was um, basically uh, go to Markov and say, right, what criteria do you think as a long-standing researcher in this field, everyone should be giving about their devices. So Markov listed a, a number of criteria. We approached about um, uh, 20 odd companies. Um, we took as much data as we could from the um, public domain, from their websites. We also then wrote to the companies and said, look guys, um, can you provide us with any additional data? Um, on these Markov criteria, what we call the Markov criteria. So these are things like the type of field, um, the frequency range, the pulse shape, the intensity, the gradient, the vector, um, what component was electrical or magnetic, what was the, do you know, the depth of penetration, and of course the key when it comes to dosimetry, what is the time of exposure, the duration of a typical um, frequency session with the device. So when we looked at all the devices, we, we saw a number of companies came out really well. Um, Vitatech, Rayonex, Biowell, 
resident light technologies. These were companies that had lots of data that filled um, many of these uh, parameters. But there were also some companies that really we couldn't find a lot of data about at all. So um, the iTerraCare wand um, is a device that's made in China in a manufacturing site that we can't find. Um, it's sold through a um, network marketing company pretty aggressively. And one of the reasons it came onto our radars, it's being sold in particular to um, people who've been COVID-19 vaccine injured. And we know of at least four people who've been put in hospital since they were using it, whether the device was directly the you know a cause of the hospitalization still remains to, to be known. Um, but um, we just did not find that this is meant to be issuing terahertz um, and the terahertz range is the least studied range in the electromagnetic field for these kinds of devices. Um, uh, another company that's really become very popular in the US of late is uh, Energy Enhancement System or EES that um, is using scalar waves being emitted via screens. Um, Tony Robbins and others are screaming about it. But again, not a lot of data about exactly what it's doing um, or how it's doing it, um, whether there's the prospect of any harm. Um, so um, we do think it's really important that um, companies lift their game in terms of transparency. The consequences of not giving um, a lot of data are, are pretty obvious. Um, regulators basically are not just regulators, they are protectors and the main protectors, that the, the main industry that they're protecting are the pharmaceutical companies that are their key paymasters. So um, if this sector does not lift its game and be more transparent um, about not only what the technology and specifications of the technology are, but also around the claims and the particularly around the claims of evidence, um, trouble will ensue and the sector will be hit pretty hard. And there's a big history, um, particularly in the United States, um, which has not been friendly towards these technologies of the FDA getting very, very heavy. Um, uh, we've seen it in Australia as well with the TGA that are banned by our residents. So um, really important that we um, uh, ensure that there are adequate data there that, that um, because it's an emerging field, um, the regulators find everything to do with EM fields to be very alien anyway. So we have to educate at the same time. Um, there are a number of things that we think manufacturers could be a lot clearer about. Um, first of all, is it really measuring the human biofield? And if it's doing that, has it got enough sensitivity built into it so it can separate the ultra-weak magnetic, electromagnetic fields from the human body from all the background sources? Is it able to do that? Um, does, it, does it emit or deliver frequencies? And if it does, how does it do that? Through what kind of connection? Is it through the air? Is it through a cable? Um, does it use algorithms? So when it receives a measurement from the body, does it then convert those into a digital signal or an analog signal, deliver them back? What's happening in, in, in terms of that process? Um, um, obviously, the, the, another really important thing is what kind of 
um, protocols come with it? What kind of instructions that, that ensure that the that there are limits on the duration of exposure, what parts of the body are being exposed, etc. So um, there is a need for, for more clarity on this. Um, when it comes to how the devices work, obviously we have to recognize that the, the, the weakness of the fields, it doesn't mean they're not important, they're incredibly important, but um, the weakness of the electromagnetic fields um, spanning all the way across the wavelengths, including into the um, 200 to 800 nanometer visible light spectrum that, for example, biophotons exist in, um, that needs to be covered off really, really careful. It's a, it's a bit like um, if we have a camera, are we using a macro lens to look at a very small part of the body, particular tissue cells? We're looking at DNA, we're looking at whole cells, whole um, organs. Or are we looking at the whole body? And if we look at the whole body, does that measurement make sense? So um, the scale and the um, uh, resolution in that scale is something that's really important um, for companies to be really clear about. Um, so um, I talked about the communication between the body and the device. You know, are the signals really clean? Are they free from background noise and you know if they're cables just a simple specification are they double insulated triple insulated so that you are really reading that signal without without the additional noise in there um, otherwise you know if you're in an electrosmog rich area you could have a very dirty signal when it comes to how what kind of evidence we use on how they work. Um, in the article, I've highlighted 10 areas, and there are probably more, but these are the really important areas about where people get information about the effectiveness and even the safety of devices. So from personal experience, the word of mouth, whether it's testimonials, um, uh, are there key opinion leaders involved who are endorsing the technology? Is it adverts that are making claims? Are the claims substantiated or not? Um, what about third-party reviews? Is there mechanistic evidence from mechanistic studies of a plausible biological effect? Um, if there are trials, are these trials done by the manufacturer? Are they unpublished, so sitting in reports, or are they published? in peer-reviewed journals, if they are, what kind of journals? Are they outcome-based studies that are looking at the effects of um, the technology in conjunction with any other modalities? Again, are they published or un unpublished? Or do we even have aggregated clinical evidence where we see the results from dozens, hundreds of practitioners rather than one or two? So um, these are all things that, you know, in communicating effectiveness data, companies can be much, much clearer about. And the trouble is we don't get this right. We get organizations like the Advertising Standards Authority, um, which is not a regulator. Uh, it's not a government regulator, I should say. It is a media industry self-regulator in the UK that behaves like it is the regulator. And many people think it is a government regulator. And uh, they will impose sanctions on... Um, companies or individuals or practitioners who breach their 
code of conduct or their code of practice. So they have a non-broadcasting code. Um, and um, one of the things they really push is substantiation of evidence. And um, they have released a, a number, in fact, two different charges against bioresonance companies because they don't believe the data is supported. And they are on the look for um, frequency medicine companies that make what they consider to be unsubstantiated claims, and they will go after them. And of course, they can then report um, any companies that they find to the medicines and medical devices uh, regulator in the UK, which is the MHRA, the equivalent of the FDA in the US. So, um, concluding remarks. Well, Einstein um, famously said, as I said at the intro of my part one article, that um, future medicine will be the medicine of frequencies. Now, um, have I lost enthusiasm for that with some of the critical comments I've made? Absolutely not. I absolutely believe wholeheartedly this is a really, really important um, new frontier. But it is really important that companies understand the complexities of navigating the regulatory swamp where they've got um, an unfavorable attitude from the regulators who want to see them stamped out. And one of the ways around that is being really transparent and clear about what you're doing, what you've got, what you're claiming. So we've ended the piece with an appeal. Um, and um, what we're doing is asking, we've already had two or three companies contact us to say, um, can we work together to try and create a, um, a framework for a responsible and sustainable development of this frequency medicine sector. So thanks so much for listening. You'll find links below to both the part one, looking at the essentiality of uh, electromagnetic fields to life, part two on the devices. We're going to do lots more work in this field um, moving forward. And um, we haven't touched on some really important ideas. Um, Mark Conrad in his comments has already said, um, what about mind? What about consciousness? Of course, um, looking at the whole sort of non-local effects um, quantum biology, hugely important area, probably very fundamental to where all of the science around what we call frequencies or electromagnetic fields or the, or the biofield is going. So massively exciting new frontier of medicine. It is part and parcel what natural health is always about, um, but we need to be cautious as we move forward. Thank you so much for listening.